When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to your post-game Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Doug Maurice, along with from Miami, Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, and Mary Kay Cabot. Irie Harris also along for the ride. We're going to go heavy to Mary Kay at the start because she has to go uh, write her game story even more than she did when the game ended. A big-time loss for the Browns in Miami. Mary Kay, what surprised you most about how this game unfolded on Sunday for the Cleveland Browns? You know, I wasn't surprised that Mike McDaniel went to the run because he's a brilliant play caller. And you just had to know that he was going to take advantage of the fact that the Browns have had trouble stopping the run. So I wasn't surprised about that. But I was surprised about their inability to stop the run. I really thought with Miles Garrett being so much healthier this game, with Jadavian Clowney being so much healthier this game, with Denzel Ward being back and some other things, and Sione Takitaki kind of coming around, I thought that they would be able to manage this offense so much better than they did. Uh, I really thought that that Mike McDaniel did a masterful job of coaching. He's a brilliant, brilliant play caller, and the Browns just had no answer for any of it. We send you guys on the road. We want to find out what the team is feeling like after a loss like this, Mary Kay. Down, upbeat, mad. What? How would you describe the mood for the Browns after this loss? You know, I mean, they were still resolute. I mean, they still believe that, hey, do not count us out. We've got two more games with Jacoby Brissett, and we have every intention of going out there and winning those games and still handing over uh, a contender to Deshaun Watson and keep this team afloat. Especially Miles Garrett was very vocal about that. And, you know, I was a little surprised because he did say, we have to win these next two games. And usually these guys think only in one game increments, but, you know, he just, you know, went outside the box and said, we have to win these next two. Not only did he say we have to win the next two, he said, basically, you know, these guys are beatable. Josh Allen's beatable. Tom Brady is beatable, and and there is in no way, shape, or form uh, we think they are unbeatable, especially us, you know. And I just thought those were some bold statements to make after a beatdown like this in Miami. So I would quibble with Miles a little bit there. I think the idea that potentially uh, the Bills and, and the Bucks are beatable might be true, but I would say especially for teams other than the Browns is how I would characterize that, not especially for the Browns. Mary Kay, big win over the Bengals, a week to get healthy and get smarter, to have a game like this. How did it affect your perception overall of this team and where it is? Well, you know, I think – that, first of all, I, I do want to say, I think the Miami Dolphins are a really, really good football team. I, and I think they're a really well-coached football team. And I think they're probably a lot better than people realize. And I think that showed today. Now that they have a running game, 
to go along with. They're not just a two-trick pony with Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. I mean, they've got a full complement on offense, and their defense is much better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, if you can shut down, for the most mm-hmm. part, Nick Chubb, the way that they did, uh, then that's a pretty good run defense. So this team is one to be reckoned with. I think as we go through the rest of the season, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if this is going to be the team uh, that people need to be afraid of because they're onto something here. And Mike McDaniels is onto something. And I think the Browns were just overmatched. I think they were outplayed, outcoached, out everything. And, um, and it, it, just, you know, it makes me think this loss leads me to believe that, you know, the Browns, you know, probably are not going to make the uh, the playoffs. Now, I, st- I still felt like maybe they had a chance. Uh, this one makes me think, mm, you know what? I mean, they are so far behind the eight ball now that it is going to be a, a this is a big hole to dig out of. I do think there, there is a difference here between the position they're in and who they are, because it's possible that. You know, they lost a bunch of close games early that we knew were problematic at the time. We thought that would maybe come back and bite them in the butt. But maybe this is still a team that could be playing well at the end of the year, even if the hole is too deep. What is closer to who the Browns really are? And we know we're going to get a reset, Mary Kay, after these next two games when Deshaun Watson comes back. But right now, this team, is it closer to the team that handled the Bengals so convincingly? Or is it closer to the team that got its doors blown off in Miami. And I know the answer is in between, but it's such disparate results and, and feelings coming out of the game. I know it's two extremes, but which one is closer to the real Browns? Oh, it, it, it is really hard to say. It's hard to say because once again, as you mentioned, it's a, they, they are getting a reset and it, it, you have to wonder, you know, would Deshaun Watson have been able to, keep them in the game early on and score on, you know, some of those possessions where they weren't able to do some things, you know, maybe not taking that, you know, big sack uh, at the, at the end of the first half there that, that opened the door for them to get the double dip and all of that. Um, So I would have to think that it's a, it's a better football team than what it showed today. But again, I think it's somewhere in the middle, not as good of a football team uh, as it, they seemed like they were, against the Bengals. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say. It's a game of matchups. It's a game. It's a chess match. And I think Mike McDaniels won the chess match today. He really did a phenomenal coaching job. And again, I just love vibes. What was your Kevin Stefanski vibe post game? How he thought, because here you're talking about Mike McDaniels, chess match, brilliant tactician. Those are the things that Browns fans want to be saying, want to be hearing about Kevin Stefanski. How did you think Kevin Stefanski coached this game? And how, how would you describe his reaction after the game to the loss? You know, I think he knew and felt that he did get outcoached. I think he really recognized that, uh, you know, that these guys just took it to them from a strategy standpoint and a play calling standpoint and all those things. I did feel that sense of, oh, crap, we didn't, you know, we just didn't do a good enough job here. So um, I did get that sense. But I definitely want to reserve judgment on Kevin as a play caller until he has Deshaun Watson as his quarterback. And even after Deshaun gets back, I think it's going to take a little while to figure out, you know, for the play caller and the quarterback to, to get to know each other. I don't think that happens necessarily overnight. Um, But, you know, I mean, we'll see. I think that um, I think we'll have a better handle on who he is 
after the six games, the final six games of the season are over. Last one for you, Mary Kay. This run defense for the Browns, how much of a problem is it? How much can it get fixed? Or is this going to be a bugaboo for them the rest of this season if teams are zeroing in on, hey, maybe even it's not what we normally do, but against this team, run it down their throats? Well, you know, I, I do think that it is going to be a problem for the rest of the season. But if they can run the ball and possess the ball, that obviously helps. And if they don't fall behind the way that they did today, um, you know, it just kind of all goes hand in hand. When the game gets away from you like that, then obviously Miami can just continue to run the ball and they, you know, don't really necessarily, I mean, although they did both things really well, um, you know, the Browns can't afford to be falling behind the way that they did and trying to catch up and not being able to use their run game the, the way that they need to, especially with Jacoby, uh, you know, at quarterback. And again, I still don't think they have enough really good top notch pass catchers. Doesn't help them that they didn't have David Njoku today. I think it really hurts not to have him. I actually think he was playing almost at like a sort of almost like at a pro bowl clip when you factor in the blocking and the receiving and all that. I, I think that's a huge loss. He's their number two receiver. I mean, it's like, if it's almost like with the the Dolphins, if you took away, um, you know, Jalen Waddle, I mean, that's almost to the point where David Njoku was. So, um, so I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, that the Browns are, are this horrible. And I do think that the run defense probably won't be as bad if they can stay in a football game and not fall so far behind. And I think that will probably happen a little bit more when Deshaun Watson is the quarterback. And that is what we like to call our Hall of Fame segment here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We will now let Mary Kay go. Cleveland Press Cup Hall of Famer. And when we come back, it'll be the rest of us chumps just talking about this game. Mary Kay, thanks as always for your insight. We'll be back right after this. Sure. Thanks, guys. And we're back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Right at the top, just want to double check on this. Dan Lobby, do you think the Dolphins are frauds? I'm just kidding. I'm actually not kidding, but I'm very interested in this because I, I am very interested in the idea of there was I, – I, it's not what it's about. You guys all picked the Browns. So if there's a misjudgment on this game, because the Browns got their doors blown off and looked like they didn't belong on the same field as the Dolphins, was it more a misjudgment? And we're wrong all the, we're all wrong all the time on games. But the get was it more about the Browns or was it more about the Dolphins, Dan? Right? Or like Mary Kay saying, Hey, I think like the Dolphins look out like they're as good as anybody. The Bills lost today. The Dolphins might win the East. Again, they're all in. They traded for Bradley Bradley Chubb, but they also got Jeff Wilson. He helped them today. What what was it more? That the that the Browns fell short or that the Dolphins are just like, Whoa, mama, they are for real. I think the right answer is, well, it's somewhere in the middle. But I think the answer that's more interesting is it's probably the Browns. Um, and I promise I'm not saying this to justify our picks or anything like that. But Dolphins were three and a half point favorites at home, something like, or was it three? I don't know. It was three or three and a half point favorites at home. Now, I listen to a lot of football podcasts where they make picks. And there were a lot of people that looked at this game and said, oh, I really like the Browns in that three and a half point line. Um, I, I heard a lot of that this week. So I think this result is probably not that the Dolphins won, but that they just absolutely dominated this game is a little surprising regardless. And I think you picked the Dolphins to win by two scores, Doug. 
maybe we should just all go on mute and let you take your victory lap. No, but no, I mean, I, I have, I'll have things to say, but like, go ahead. I'm, I'm just curious because again, we're all wrong about games all the time. But I'm just because this can happen, Dan. This can absolutely happen. Sometimes you just face a team that is absolutely peaking, and it makes you look terrible. And it's like, well, you're not actually that I, terrible. You just face the wrong team on the wrong day, and I'm curious if that's what happened. I, I think it's a combination of overreacting to the fact that the Browns just own the Bengals, and if they played the Bengals every week, they'd go 17 and 0. And I think it's—I think this game was more about the Browns than it was the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins have sort of been this, and it's sort of been like, yeah, okay, but they've only played this team or that team or whatever. The Browns have played more games like this, maybe not this lopsided, but they've played more games where they've been awful against the run and they've given up big chunks in the passing game. They've played more games like this than they have games like they did against the Dolphins or against the Bengals and even the Ravens. So I think this is probably more about the Browns than the Dolphins coming out and saying, hey, we're here, we've arrived. I think for the Dolphins, that probably happens. Their opportunities to do that will come when they play Buffalo again, will come when when they play other contenders in the AFC and the Browns just aren't in that class. Ashley Bastock, I know you wrote about the defense right after the game that this happened against the chargers as well, right? You think, Hey, this is a great passing team. And instead the chargers come out and run it at the Browns. Now the dolphins did it again today. Listen, watching on the broadcast, they were talking a lot about the fact that the fear of the pass and the fear of the middle of the field had the Browns linebackers worried about that, which opens up the run game. We know everything is related, but Ashley, Passing teams are running on the Browns because they are so bad at it. The, the Browns' run defense is a national joke. National writers around the country mock the Browns' run defense at this point, and deservedly so. Is this, is this a hole that sinks the ship beyond, again, Deshaun Watson can't patch the run defense? Like, How would you characterize how much of an issue this is? Well, and I, Doug, I know I saw you tweeting about this as well. It's like when Deshaun Watson comes back, like automatically the offense in theory becomes more explosive. Like you, you have a better passing game automatically because of the kind of quarterback he is. So it maybe makes it a little bit more manageable to play from behind. But like right now with how bad this is, like you're probably still going to be playing behind because all these teams, yeah. like when you, when you have good coaches – like a Mike McDaniel, who is, you know, widely regarded for his prowess, he looks at a team like the Browns and is like, well, yeah, we have maybe one of the most explosive passing offenses in the game, but these guys can't stop the run. So let's use the guy we just traded for and run all over them. And I think the reality is, and it was interesting, like Greg Newsom talked about this, you know, when you, when you play a team like the Browns as an offense and you beat them down on the ground, it makes their secondary play different. And, like, no, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle didn't necessarily kill you. I mean, they combined for, like, 110 yards, which we know there have been games this season where both those guys have more yards individually than that. But this was still a pretty effective and spread out passing game. Like, to his numbers, 25-32, 285 yards, three passing touchdowns, no interceptions, 135 rating. Like, because they were, you know, dismantling them on the ground, the secondary plays different. Then the pass offense still like kind of sneakily got going on top of you just getting embarrassed with your run defense. So I think that's really the issue is when you play these teams like this, it spirals all around and things are feeding off of each other. And those teams are going to learn and know how to take advantage of that. 
Irie, Jacoby Brissett comes out, leads that touchdown drive to start the game. But then I think we see happen what has happened, which is one they're behind or when they get in third and medium or third and long situations, once they leave the cocoon of the perfect scenario, Jacoby Brissett starts holding the ball. He takes sacks. He, he under pressure, like he hits a lot of those little eight yard routes over the middle where the guy is standing still. I get it. He was six for six in the first quarter or whatever. And the announcers were coming out of their shoes. He's perfect today. It's like, listen, man, he dropped one deep ball in the bucket and he threw a bunch of eight yard passes. Guys were standing still. Whoop de doo. Irie, is this a, was just just again the circumstance revealing Jacoby Brissett? How did you think your guy JB played today? Ah, oh, my stud brother. Okay, well, I think that he performed the way that, of how we would expect. You know, he's going to look good with the Nest system. Going to you know prove himself to be more of a, like an underrated scrambler. You know, a couple of good script scrambles throughout the game and stuff. But overall, he's not a quarterback that we would put in the conversation, as we've said all year, as a big difference maker. I think that was the biggest thing, and that's especially when he gave me the talk on marriage and if this could work with Garnett Stefanski and Brissett the rest of the season or the rest of his 11 games uh, as starting quarterback for them. We're going to see these type of performances, which uh, if you don't watch the game, you're thinking, oh, he did well, he did good. But then within the eye test alone, you're just, you just see something else differently. The numbers don't really tell the full story within the performance. You see multiple times where you're, why, you're questioning why they're targeting Donovan Peoples-Jones multiple times when you have a four-time pro board that, you're, that you've only targeted three times the entire game. You're wondering why he's overpassing and why you're – Star running back <laughs> has only ran the ball 11 times throughout the game. Uh, so Brissett did well just within the sense of numbers, but it's not going to show within the uh, the, the results. Uh, he's still going to be that safe playmaker that will come out with zero interceptions, but don't expect him to beat Pat Mellon to get four touchdowns just like he did earlier today. So that's really what I see from uh, from Mr. De- Mr. Brissett. So I thought this game sucked, and I think the Browns are awful. And I think Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry are on the hook for this. And I hope people have given up acting like they're well coached. I thought this was embarrassing. Kevin Stefanski in 42 games, no, in 42 games as a head coach, has as many 20-point losses as Hugh Jackson did in 40 games as a head coach. And that is when fans get mad when you get your doors blown off. So this is the second time in a month the Patriots blew their doors off. And now the Dolphins blew their doors off. Off a of bye week when they're supposed to have momentum. And Dan, they have 16 on both sides of the ball. They have 16 of the 22 guys they want out there. So they're missing six of their starters, right? Defensively, the only two guys they're missing are the linebackers. And I know that's a big deal. They want Anthony Walker Jr. and JOK out there. They weren't out there. The other nine guys that are playing, they're their guys. Everybody got healthy on the defensive line. The second Denzel Ward's back. The secondary is healthy. Offensively, Nick Harris is out the whole year. Ethan Postich, he's been fine, but that's not the guy they thought they was going to be there. Wyatt Teller tries to play. He can't play. That hurts. David Njoku's out. I get it. That is important. And no Deshaun Watson. But listen, man, people win with backup quarterbacks. People have injuries. Do better than this. Do better than this. I thought this was embarrassing. And Kevin Stefanski got outcoached. Where is his version of what the Dolphins did today? Where is his version of the opposite thing? I thought it was awful, Dan, awful. And the Bengals game was a fluke. It wasn't a fluke. It was a one-off. It was a mirage. This is who they are. Now, 
Is Deshaun Watson going to change that? Yeah, he is. He's going to take pressure off the defense. He's going to make plays. He's going to make everybody get better. I get that. But the infrastructure of this team is much softer than any of us imagined. And this whole season has exposed that. And for them to go down and get a good kick return, one deep ball, take a 7 nothing lead, and then basically take a nap for the next 55 minutes is an absolute indictment of every star player on this team and every member of that coaching staff. And I'm tired of people acting like these coaches are good at this. Okay, Dan, what do you have to say about this game today? I think you just wrote Mary Kay's game story when you said they had a great opening drive and then took a nap. That, that really is what it feels like. You're not going to get an argument from me as far as like making excuses for this team because I, I mean, I think I've said this before. You know, early in the season, I look at a team like the New York Giants, right? They got off to, I mean, they're seven and two today. They beat the Houston Texans, whatever the Texans stink. But, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, who were beating kind of a, a weakish schedule with Cooper Rush at quarterback, I mean, this was set up for the Browns to be pretty good with a backup quarterback. And, this game honestly shouldn't have mattered that much because they should have taken care of business against teams like the Jets and the Falcons and like Bailey Zappi. And th these are teams that they should beat. I don't care who your quarterback is. Um, and so I, I'm with you on the, I, like, I think the Deshaun Watson excuse is like, yes, he's going to make this team better. I know he can't stop the run. I know he can't defend the pass, but just having his presence you know, you can at least keep pace with a team like the Dolphins. Even if your defense stinks, you know, you can at least keep pace with a team like the Dolphins, you would think. Although I don't know about these pass catchers. Um, but that being said, the Browns made the decision to trade for Watson knowing he was going to be suspended, knowing that they were going to have to go through at least, maybe they didn't think it was going to be 11 games. They were going to have to go through part of this season without him. They chose Jacoby Brissett as the guy that was going to be their quarterback. Everything they've done is a choice, so I'm not, I don't like to make excuses for this team. They're a three and six football team. I mean, I'm, I'm completely on board with you on that. And Anthony Walker is a great guy and a good player. Miles Garrett was out there. Jadavion Clowney was out there. Denzel Ward was out there. Greg Newsom. Those are your best defensive players. Anthony Walker is like eighth on that list, maybe. You know, Ethan Pochich, Lance Reisland texted me this week and said he's playing center as well as he's seen anybody play. He doesn't know if Nick Harris will get that job back. That's you know, that's what Lance says. He watches the tape constantly. So I don't think this team deserves the benefit of the doubt. They're a three and six football team and they've earned every little bit of three and six. And that, that reflects on Kevin, that reflects on Joe Woods, that reflects on everybody. And and Ashley, this like the things that Mary Kay was talking about that Miles Garrett is saying, and you guys were there for all of it. And that's why we need that context from you guys in Miami. But I don't think that's what Browns fans want to hear. Like, hey, the, the Bills aren't unbeatable. It's like, can we live in the world? Can like, are people taking responsibility for this? For this, Ashley? Like, hey, it's not over. We can beat the Bills and the and the Bucks. Like, of course, I'm not asking the Browns to say, well, that's it, three and six, pack it up, season's over. That's not what I'm asking for. But is there how much Ashley is there a vibe of this isn't good enough? We have to be better. We've we've let ourselves down. Like we're failing. Like like. With, with an upbeat attitude, but how much are they taking responsibility for being a 3-6 and six team that just lost by three scores? 
I mean, I think they are. And like, to be fair to the Miles comment, it, like, I kind of agree with Doug, your point of like, what are these guys kind of supposed to say? Like when they get asked certain questions, that's kind of my thinking on it. And I was not at the podium when Miles talked today. I was talking to other defensive guys in the locker room. And I mean, I definitely think you get the vibe from them of this this thinking over things and what happened. And like I said, like Greg Newsom, I thought gave some really nuanced breakdowns for a quick post-game interview at his locker that a player can give, right? And explaining, well, yeah, we fell apart in the run. So then we in the secondary have to play different. That opens up the pass game. And that's like how we get to where we got to. Um, I do worry, and I have been worried for a while now that, this team or, you know, not maybe the team as a whole, but certain individuals on this team, if there is this belief that, oh, it doesn't matter because Deshaun Watson is going to be coming back and this isn't really who we are. And I think that's just not how you can look at things. Like, I hope that's not what they're doing because I think in sports, it's really hard to turn on a switch like that, especially to have to do it as late in the season as the Browns are going to have to do. Um, And again, like Dan said, I mean, this is their, this is the bed they made. And this is what they have to work with. And they knew they were trading for a controversial guy who was going to be suspended. So if they thought they needed to beef up other parts of this team, whether it was the quarterback, whether it was the receiving room, whether it was your defensive front so that teams can't run all over you, then they had ample time to do that because they traded for Deshaun Watson in March. So I don't feel bad. There Clearly mistakes were made. And I think largely, and I wrote this in my first story, I'm writing it now in my second story, this is kind of like an indictment, I think, of this idea that we can skimp on defensive tackles and linebackers to a certain extent and be okay because we value analytically our edge rushers and our DBs so much more because clearly that's not working. So I think it's like a large an indictment of these larger ideals. Um, I think that this team can't just be waiting on Deshaun because number one, he had time to prepare. Number two, he's not going to solve all these problems. So I think that's my worries. If, like I said a few weeks ago, if their identity has become waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back and solve their problems, that's not how it's going to work. That's what I'm concerned about. And and I agreed with it. Like I agreed with the Andrew Barry thing of like, listen, spend on corners, spend. I like the money on the safety, spend on edge rushers. They beefed up the offensive line. I liked all of it, and I thought if you're going to neglect positions, you can't be great everywhere. The two positions on any NFL team that I would neglect are defensive tackle and linebacker, and I was wrong, and so was he, but he's in charge and I'm not. So I think Andrew Barry blew a hole in this team with his roster building, or he also like picked the wrong guys along the way because it's like, well, you can be average there, but they're terrible there. And I understand I literally don't know who the linebackers are, was a guy named Kowalczyk playing today? Who is that? Yeah. Who is that person? I don't know who that is. And this Deion Jones guy, he stinks, right? He's not good. Why do we think he's good? He's like Jamie Collins light, except Jamie Collins didn't even try. And I'm not sure this guy's, I don't know if he's tried or not. He's probably trying. He just hasn't played football in a year. Like their linebackers are terrible. And the Anthony Walker and JOK stuff hurts. But I understand, the, I understood the philosophy while it was happening. But, but when you have a philosophy and it doesn't work, you're held accountable for that, Andrew Barry. Sorry, bro. And, like, Doug, I mean, to that point, too, like, a guy like Jacob Phillips, who, again, you took in the third round, he's hurt now, but wasn't really producing before he was hurt. No better than Kowalczyk. knows that. No. And it's guys like that that can make or break a team, right? These guys that you take, like, in these 
the first through three rounds, we talk about this, this all the time. The first three rounds are guys you expect to like be starter level contributors at some point in their career. And I think the Browns expect, expected that. And I think it said a lot that Anthony Marker Jr. outplayed him for that job at the beginning of the year. He played so hard, he forced the Browns' hand. And I think we obviously saw why when Anthony Walker Jr. went out. So, like, that's a part of it. But I think there are guys like that all over this team that we know, we've talked about them, that have question marks from these last three draft classes that maybe looked good at a certain time or we thought they'd be a value pick, and they're just not panning out right now. And you're going to have to get some answers on them really quick. Dan, Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai up front, right? Some of those mid-round picks, Perrion Winfrey. Everybody was excited about Perrion Winfrey. He can't even get in uniform because I don't know that he's showing up for work in the middle of the week. Like there are f- absolute failures here, Dan. And I think the philosophy of like, Hey, let's fill in these positions with mid round draft picks might be okay, but we're running through a lot of dudes who can't play who Andrew Barry picked in those spots. Yeah. They, they were very reliant on mid round picks and you know, Jordan Elliott's a guy that they gave a chance to this year and really talked up in training camp. And I, I kind of looked at like what what exactly is happening here because Jordan Elliott played the first two years of his career, and I'm at every game and I'm in the press box every game and I can't remember how many times I heard Jordan Elliott's name in his first two years. But okay, yeah. give him a chance; it just hasn't worked. They went and get Taven, get Taven Bryan, who's a failed first round pick in Jacksonville. Um, but th- that's the concerning part is they have drafted guys. They Jordan Elliott, Jacob Phillips, Tommy Togiai. These are guys who were drafted third, fourth round. You don't hit on all those picks, but you have to hit on a few of them. And very clearly, this team's philosophy is, you know, they showed it this year when they were sitting at 44 and decided to trade down. They like third round picks. They like fourth round picks. They think they can find value in those rounds. But right now, none of that value is paying off for them. Uh, You know, I mean, Andrew's best picks so far are Greg Newsome. That seems like a hit. Um and finding Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round. I don't know if I'm missing. I mean, Jed Wills has not been great necessarily, and he got banged up today, although he's he's going to play. Yeah, again, this just goes back to, like, everyone deserves blame in this, and no one gets to just say, well, Deshaun Watson. Like, you, you made this choice. You've made some really questionable draft picks. It's, it's concern- And even some of the free agent signings have been shaky. So team building, coaching, playing, you know, the, when, when you lose by 39-17, I think everybody, fans and everybody else, takes a really hard look at this and says, what exactly is happening here? And I'm sure that they're doing the same thing upstairs in that building, wherever Jimmy Haslam's office is. Not that he's going to fire everybody tomorrow, but he's he's a human being too, and he's been a little quick with the trigger at times, and I'm sure that... If this continues, he's going to start to really wonder, like, what exactly is happening here, Paul and Andrew? And, and by the way, it's OK to say that people are not doing their jobs well, and, and that right. doesn't mean we think they should be fired. Um, but speaking of people who maybe should be fired, where are we on the Joe Woods conversation? Irie, where are we like the defense played well against the Bengals when Jamar Chase didn't play? And the Bengals, by the way, I think forgot they had a running back in that game when the Browns can't stop the run. And then the next week they were like, oh, we have a running back. And then Joe Mixon scored five touchdowns. So guess what? By the way, when the Browns play the Bengals next time, they're going to hand the ball to Joe Mixon. So get ready, Joe Woods. Irie, where are we with this defensive coordinator who has been a 
constant source of discussion. They had a good defensive game last time out, and then today they got steamrolled. Are, are we getting closer to like, man, maybe you need to change the guy who's calling the plays? Yeah, I would be – I'm not even going to lie. I would be surprised if he still had his – if he was still employed with the Browns next season. I would honestly be surprised if he was even still employed within in a National Football League team. Uh, it, it reminded me there was moments during a game where I'm watching – and I, will, I mean, all of us were watching, of course. And of course, the one common thing that we saw amongst these guys on defense was no effort, not even playing for pride. But the one play that always stuck out was that last touchdown by, by the Dolphins on that run, I believe. And at not even at the 10 yard line, Denzel Warder just came out from a concussion. It's just, it's already starting to slow down. Like nobody just even seemed to go. Jacob Phillips just watching him go by. And in that moment, I thought about what Dan had said a while back. It was something regarding uh, <laughs> former coach Freddie Kitchens. But the reason I mentioned Freddie Kitchens is not to say he should be taking the job, but just because of that one clip where I can remember him going off on the defense saying, when you get cut, I want you to remember why, because you showed no effort. That's what was running through my head, especially through that second half. I'm thinking, is Joe Woods getting inside? Is he getting at them? Is he showing them why they're not showing the effort? What is really going on behind the scenes? What's happening in that locker room? Because if he's, if he's doing all he can, it's surely not showing within this unit. It's one thing to lose out on Anthony Walker. It's one thing to have. The, you know, the highest paid player in this position, position this award out due to a concussion. But when the rest of the rest of the guys out there, and look, even if the scoreboard was the same as it is, even if it still was 39-17, to 17, if they're giving it their all and saying, hey, we gave it what we couldn't show that effort, so the eye test is going to see that. But when you see guys slowing down and taking plays off, it's not going to help out at all. So when it comes to Joe Woods in this case of still being employed by this team, I would still be surprised if he still had his job uh, come next season. Ashley, did you sense what did you sense from the defense, especially as it's getting away from them late? Did you when you were watching that? I know you had your head down writing too, but like I, I was going to say, know, well, we well I had my head in my laptop, but yeah. Like, like do you th- do you think there is like a we've seen like at different times this year blown coverages? We've seen a connectivity issue. We've se- we've seen certainly seen guys talking about you know. I don't know what the Miles Garrett was coming after the game about like guys going in the same direction. There's just enough stuff around this team, Ashley, that there does seem to be stuff that's like, what are guys on the same page? I don't know. Can I say the, the miles comment and like, I saw it get some play on Twitter or whatever, like in reading it, I don't think he meant literally. Like, I think it was just kind of like a thing players say, I think it got blown up because of Twitter a little bit. Um, I, I, and the quote was something to the effect of you can't run through a wall if you're not all running in the same direction. And I I don't think he meant we're not literally running in the same direction. I think maybe it was, you know, more, uh, a nod to these larger breakdowns and saying it in a way that players sometimes do. And we've seen miles, I think vigorously and obviously go after Joe Woods before, right? He did it after the Patriots game last year and got a talking to from Kevin Stefanski after the fact, um, they worked it out. But it's it's kind of why, like, with this whole fire Joe Woods, like, you know, movement on Twitter or whatever, I'm I'm still just not, like, fully there yet because I 
don't think it solves the problem. I, oh, I you know, why the phrase, not? Put a, it wouldn't make put it a, better. You know, like the phrase, well, it wouldn't make it better this year. I don't think. I think all you're doing is changing the voice in the room, and that's what I was gonna say. It's like almost like the, the phrase putting a bandaid on a bullet hole. But I don't even know if it would necessarily be doing that. To me, it goes back to what I was talking about before, in that some of this personnel has just underachieved, and I think that goes above Joe Woods. And I don't know, maybe. You know, maybe he's going to be a casualty of all of this because they have to eventually change something, right? And maybe there would be some value in changing the voice in the room, but I think there's a possibility if you do that, yeah, maybe there's an uptick for the last handful of games here. It means nothing. You still don't make the postseason. And then next year you're stuck with the same problems because you've built this team a certain way and guys haven't developed the way you want them to. They haven't progressed the way you wanted them to. Um, so I just think the problems run deeper and it's not that Joe Woods's system necessarily is the problem all the time, if that makes sense. Dan, I do think I agree with Irie that there's no way Joe Woods is the defensive coordinator next year. And then it's a conversation of when do you, do you generally agree with that idea, Dan, or do you think they can get it straightened out and, and he's still the guy? I would never say never that like, could this thing turn around and the defense plays great the rest of the season and maybe that is enough for Joe Woods to keep his job? But if you were asking me to bet on that, there's no way I I would say that. Something has to give here, and I think it speaks to a bigger issue of they've got to make sure this thing is right going into next year because you gave up a lot for Deshaun Watson. And when you did that, you said this team is ready to win the Super Bowl. You don't trade three first-round picks and guarantee $230 million to go to the wild card round. You do that to win the Super Bowl. Not even go to the Super Bowl. You do it to win the Super Bowl. And so you have to make sure and know going into next year that everything is right. Personnel, coaching, players, everything. And if you look at Joe Woods, even if they play well over the, the rest of the way and you say, I just don't know just not sure if he's the guy that can lead a Super Bowl defense, then you have to make that change. You've left yourself no choice. You have to be cold and you have to be calculating and you have to not care about anybody because you went and traded for Deshaun Watson. And if you don't at least make it to the Super Bowl in these five years, it was a bad trade. And you, so you've got to make sure everything was right around that. You don't give all that up unless you're thinking you can go win the Super Bowl. All right, last break. We'll come back and finish this up on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Doug Lamarice, Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, Irie Harris, Mary Kay Cabot is off writing. We hope you guys are subscribed to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. We hope you are visiting cleveland.com slash Browns. If you want to be a Browns insider, click the blue banner and you can figure out how to get all that extra stuff. Irie, you had mentioned this earlier. How many targets for Amari Cooper today? Not many. I believe three. What's up? Like, how can that be? How and, and I know DPJ did some stuff, right? I know, but but how can, this this team has yo-yoed back and forth so much between a hundred-yard receiving games for Amari Cooper and then games where like you forget he's out there. And I understand you can't have a hundred receiving yards every game, but when he vanishes, he vanishes, and it it is remarkable to me. Was I don't know, is it three or four games this year where it's like. This is your number one receiver. And, oh, everybody, what a genius they were. And nobody can believe that the Cowboys gave him up. And then it's like, well, then why don't you throw it to him? Like, how, how do they go through a game plan like this, Irie, and not use Amari Cooper more? I'm not sure. I 
I remember when just with an example and stuff, the one game that did come to mind where we thought Warren was in like that was during the Falcons game where he had the four targets. Now, to his credit, he had AJ Terrell on him, recent pro, you know, pro bowler stuff, all pro, one of the best upcoming uh, corners in the league. But I didn't see anybody as good as AJ Terrell out there today. And it does coincide with that thought of, all right, if they're doing this and impacting the team this well offensively, why not do it the next game? It's a sense of them think I don't know what it is, but it's almost a sense as the coaching staff or even Stefanski, whether it's Alex, whoever is thinking, whatever we're doing in this game, we have to do the opposite of because that's what the opposing team is going to expect. Even if that's what they expect, that does not mean that they can fully stop it. During that point, for example, when he had the, I think it was four targets versus Atlanta, he was just coming out back-to-back games where he had 101 receiving yards with them both games individually. Even this past game, he had, what was it, uh, 131 uh, receiving yards. He had seven targets, five catches, I believe, and then, along with the one touchdown. You only give him three targets in this game? Who's making the decisions here? Is it Stefanski? Is it Fulham? And even and not to even fully get off topic, but just to, to stay within the whole point of if they're if, – Pretty much the whole thing of, yeah, if you're going to do this to them, if they're doing great, why not give it to them again? Chubb and Hunt. Why are we still talking about them not even being used properly? They've been big within probably within the last two wins that they've had is when they were used properly and they won the game off of the ground game alone. Barely any uses from them today. So I don't, I'm not sure who was deciding whether, you know, to the, uh, to pass it more to DB Chate, who hasn't shown much recently compared to your four-time pro bowler and Amari Cooper. I mean, it's Kevin Stefanski. It's all Kevin Stefanski's fault. We don't have to pretend we don't know whose fault it is. Everything that happens with the offense is Kevin Stefanski's fault. Um, I don't know. People, I swear to, people know what I think. I, I honestly could not be less impressed with Kevin Stefanski this year. And if you are the people who are holding on to the ifs and maybes and close losses, I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I honestly think it's the way he looks. I swear. This city, I think, was deservedly hard on Hugh Jackson and deservedly hard on Freddie Kitchens. And I know Kevin Stefanski came in and was the coach of the year his first year. And that's it, actually. It's not because he has a handsome stubble beard. He had a good first year. The last two years, anybody could do this. Anybody could do this. And, Ashley, that I think is this. There's two things I want to finish up with here. One is, I don't want to speak for Browns fans necessarily, but this to me is not a very easy team to like. There are individual players that I think fans love. They love Nick Chubb. I think people love Greg Newsom. I think people love Miles Garrett. I think people love Denzel Ward, right? Amari Cooper, Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, right? There are guys, Kareem Hunt. There are guys you really can embrace here. But this team as a whole, Ashley is beyond frustrating. I think the way they have performed this year, both blowing close games and then just absolutely getting embarrassed by the Patriots and the Dolphins in the last month. Certainly expectations tie into that, but I do think, Ashley, people were willing to give this team, as Dan had mentioned, the benefit of the doubt is gone. I think people were willing to give this team that for 11 games until Deshaun Watson came back. And if they have blown that benefit so persuasively this is not a fun team to watch and i think that is that is a real failure of this stretch because it did not have to be this way we get it 
it's a backup quarterback. But Ashley, I think they're losing a lot of goodwill right now. Well, and it kind of is what I said before with this whole Deshaun Watson thing, right? It's not like it's a surprise in what you got with him. Like they knew trading for him full well what he was accused of. You know, they made the decision to do it anyway. They know that because of what he was accused of with all the sexual misconduct allegations that it's likely going to lead to some kind of suspension for violating the league's personal conduct policy. That's just the reality bare bones of what the situation was. So if you think you needed somebody else or something else, I think it becomes the organization's job to go out and get that thing, whatever it is, whether it's a better backup quarterback, whether it's trading for Jimmy G, again, whether it's stuff on the defense to help bolster that unit even more in some of your weaker areas. That's what organization building is. Um, And the result is going to be very likely, looking at where the record is right now and with the caveat of never say never, that this is going to be a wasted season of guys like some of those guys you just named, the fan favorites. It's going to be wasted years of guys in their prime, in theory, if this team, you know, goes the way it's headed and can't make even the playoffs at this rate. Um, But again, I think that's where it's like, for me, the Kevin Stefanski conversation, you almost, I feel like we have to wait to see what this looks like with Deshaun Watson for as much as I said, you can't wait for Deshaun, you can't wait for Deshaun. This is the long-term guy, right? Who like, is? You do have to see Sean, Deshaun. Not Kevin. Deshaun. Deshaun. This is the long-term guy. Deshaun is the guy at quarterback. He's your franchise quarterback. You have to see what this coach looks like with this quarterback. But it's like all of these, I'm not giving this team a pass because they they knew all of this. They knew this was the risk in trading for Deshaun Watson. And we're seeing it play out. We're seeing it play out, and there were ways, I think, to avoid it. We are seeing it play out, I think, worse than anybody anticipated. I think this is a worst-case scenario. Well, and like Dan said said before, it's like the Giants, you know, go out there and do what they're doing with not, you know, a top-five quarterback in the league. There are ways to win in this league without having that franchise guy, if you're creative enough. I am not evaluating Kevin Stefanski on – how come you're not leading the AFC? How come you're not in the playoff picture right now? It's the same thing with Hugh Jackson. And I can't believe like I'm going to use Hugh Jackson in a positive light like to make th- this case. But the problem with Hugh Jackson was that he made a hard situation look harder. Everybody knew what the deal was. And then he turned what was probably like a 4-12 and team into an 0-16 team. No, it wasn't, the problem wasn't that they were bad. is that they underachieved even for how bad they were. Right. He made a tough situation impossible. And I think Kevin Stefanski right now is doing the exact same thing. Like, I don't know what the difference is between 0 and 16 and this, because the roster right now, even without Deshaun Watson, is three times as talented as anything Hugh Jackson ever had to work with. And, and Hugh got roasted for losing. And it's because he lost more than he should have. And this, this is a better than a 3-6 and six team, and especially a 3-6 and six team, Dan, that comes out after a bye and looks like it can't even compete. This was a bottom five effort today. And so I think the thing that has happened, Dan, is that we are now questioning everything about the Browns. Instead of it being like, well, wait till Deshaun, do the best you can, fight hard. This is an on-paper team in a blood-and-gut sport. And I like the teardown. I like the analytical stuff. I thought the roster was in good shape. 
And you look at it now, and I don't have very much confidence in this group because the players that I think are individually skilled, it doesn't feel to me like they're connected. And then you go through the rest of the roster and you see a hole here and a hole here, and they have one receiver who's a difference maker who they don't even throw to. So, like, I think, Dan, the way that they have exposed themselves, they have shown everything that they are not. Maybe actually it's healthy because they're not going to trick themselves through Deshaun because you can't just wipe this 11-game stretch away. But I am very surprised, Dan. I think every single person listening to this podcast, every single Browns fan, every single person on this podcast, we're surprised at what has been exposed while waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. Are we not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like Hugh Jackson would have killed for this type of talent. Now, he probably would have been 3-6-2. But – he would have yeah. killed for this type of talent. And I actually will push back on something you said about our expectations about where this team should be. Again, I don't, I agree with you that I don't think they, nobody should have expected them to be leading the AFC or, or something like that. But I think it was reasonable to expect this team to be like alive and you know, competing, especially with the way Cincinnati got off to a start and Baltimore got off to their start. I think it's perfectly fair to look at this team and say they should be right there with the Bengals and the Ravens right now, even without Deshaun Watson. And again, you know, Ashley and I have both kind of made this point. I just, the Dallas Cowboys, who are coached by Mike McCarthy, who is like the laughing stock of football Twitter, like football Twitter loves to make fun of Mike McCarthy and rightfully so they had Cooper rush at quarterback and they beat the Bengals. They beat the giants. They beat the commanders and they beat the Rams. They lost to the Eagles before Dak Prescott came back. None of those teams are good, but just a reminder that the Browns lost to the jets when all they needed to do was relay the message to Nick Chubb, do not score, which Saquon Barkley did a few weeks later on the exact same play. And they lost to the Falcons with Marcus Mariota, who is just miserable at quarterback. They got killed by Bailey Zappi. It's it's those sorts of things. Like, if you come to Miami and you lose to Miami without Deshaun Watson, okay, Miami, it turns out, is a pretty good football team. And Tua is a pretty good quarterback. I love left-handers, as we established on Friday's podcast, mm. that I, I left-handers are awesome. Um, you know, if you lose to the chart, at least – coming into the season if you lose to the Chargers, okay the chargers are a pretty good football team right there's just team if you lose to buffalo next week you're supposed to lose to buffalo without deshaun watson buffalo's a wagon even after these last two games but it's these other losses and it's the double digit losses and it's games like this where you just show up and you don't compete that that that's what gives you pause i think about kevin stefanski and it's what is going to make december whether this team is alive or not I think December is going to be pretty high stakes for this coaching staff because they're going to get to show, yeah, we can do this. with. We're the ones who should be coaching Deshaun Watson and calling plays for Deshaun Watson. The Pittsburgh Steelers with tiny hands rookie Kenny Pickett <laughs> and failed starter career backup Mitch Trubisky at quarterback with T.J. Watt out practically the whole year. He came back on Sunday for the first time. At the same moment, they lost Minka Fitzpatrick to appendicitis. Those Steelers who just saw their Hall of Fame quarterback retire, who are in absolute rebuild mode, rebuild mode those Steelers have the same record as the Browns. 
And those Steelers beat Tom Brady, right? Those Steelers showed up and beat the Saints on Sunday. Those Steelers, who should be bottoming out, have the same record as the Browns, who are supposed to have a Super Bowl-level roster while they wait for their quarterback. It's an embarrassment. It, it makes me question every single thing about this team. And, and, and that goes beyond. That does not get fixed instantaneously by the return, by the return um, of Deshaun Watson. Irie, again, you, you and I are watching this from home. Describe your level of um, – because here's the thing, too, Irie. The Browns scored first. Like, well, they always score. They always look good at the beginning. Like, when they scored the touchdown to go up 7-0, did you think, here they go? The Bengals game is going to be a, a boost for them? Or – and then when it absolutely fell apart, like, were you surprised by that? As it unfolded, how did you think of it from home watching? I didn't really, really care about the, the opening drive because, just like you said, that's pretty usual. This is nothing new. We've seen them come out the gates. The uh, uh, adrenaline is up for the first – not even two minutes of the game, and they score. Yes, let's go. We're back. I didn't care about the first drive. Wonderful drive. Wonderful opening script, surely. That's what's expected, though, with, with this, with the staff and score, because they've done it multiple times, and yet they've still gone out there and lost and just played a terrible game. So I didn't really care about that. What, what, what I cared about really was second quarter and on, because – and even putting aside the second quarter, really it's the second half – because this has been – the Browns have proven for the most part to be a first-half team throughout the season. You know, I, I believe they, they came into the game, uh, I, I, I believe, like top 13, averaging nearly 13 points, again, within the first half alone. I really cared about the second half, you know, because this, this, they have not proven to be a second-half team. So the first time they're really seeing that this team had done nearly a full 180. I won't even say 180. They, they had done a 140. At that, or, or even a, even a half of that, even like a ninety, you know, part of that part of that first set would have been to see how they come out and perform in the third quarter. But once we saw nothing, then it's just like, oh, here we go again, right? So that was really my my thoughts at at a at home watching this performance. And I'm just, oh man, I've, I've had quite quite the point right now with this team. I don't even want to talk about. Step brothers and nothing of that sort anymore. I'm, I'm done. Let's throw it in the trash for now. You've disowned. It's you've disowned Jacoby. No, Brissette. no, wow. I, 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 I knew it was bad. I knew it was no, that. Bad. No, no, no. I, I haven't officially disowned them. The trash will still be like in the crib. You know, I'm not gonna just throw it out just yet. I'm gonna take it out, clean it up when needed. But for now, I don't care anymore. I read. Do you think? What do you think they do against the Bills and the Bucks the next two games? Two and zero, one and one, or zero and two? Quick answer. Oh, and two. Dan, what do you think they do? <sighs> oh, my God. Well, they're going to lose next week. Um, I, You know what? I might be at 0-2. Oh I think I think old TB I, went to Germany and got a little I, juice I think, back. Beat the Seahawks. I think Tom is smart enough. I think well, you know, Byron left, which has come under some heat. But I, I think they're smart enough to watch what this team does and exploit it. Ashley? I'm at 0-2, and, and the Bucks have a bye next week, so that's also worth noting. Oh, wow. All yeah. that extra we looked time. That up today. I did look that up today in the press box, although when Dan said 0-2, oh, uh, I wanted to almost say 2-0 and oh, because we've joked that whatever Dan predicts is wrong anyway, so I don't know. Maybe there is a world. Somebody clip this this audio in case they go 2-0. and oh. can, can we steal real quick? Can we steal a gimmick from Bill Simmons? Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think the line is right now for next week? For the Buffalo game? Um, yes. At Buffalo, right? At Buffalo. I actually think you guys might 
all guess too high. Oh, Buffalo. Curious what you guess. I was gonna say I'll say what I was gonna say, which was this probably is too high. Eleven and a half. That is too high. These guys are no good at gambling. They don't know. Is they don't have a nine guess. And a half? <laughs> nine and a half? It's too high. Did 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 they not see Josh I Josh Allen iced the game with that pick? Do they not know that he's gonna go sickle mode next week? It's it's seven and it's seven and a half, which I actually thought, which I was a little that's surprised. That's really by. that seems right. very generous to the Browns because I saw Josh Allen's face in that press conference after the game, and I thought yeah. this is a man that is not going to only win by seven and a half points. And he was already mad last week. Now he's just madder. Yeah. So this game, my, my, my bad. I was saying so this game three and a half. That game now seven. What are they doing back there? Well. Taking everybody's money, They're, they know that much. Um, so I will say, in the end, I do think, for instance, there are things, right? And I do think this is maybe where the Deshaun Watson factor comes into play. When you watch the Bears Dolphins game last week, right? Justin Fields did extraordinary things. Now the Bears didn't win, but Justin Fields doing extraordinary things kept the Bears in the game. When you watch that Minnesota Buffalo game on Sunday, Justin Jefferson did extraordinary things, right? He kept the Vikings alive and let them win. Stephon Diggs does extraordinary things. I don't see a lot of Browns doing extraordinary things right now. And that includes Miles Garrett. And that includes Denzel Ward. It includes every member of that defense. Nick Chubb, we know what the Nick Chubb game plan is. He breaks tackles and he hits cutback lanes. And there are times when Nick Chubb does do extraordinary things, but it's like the run game version of that, right? It's not the one hand 40 yards down the field kind of thing. And maybe Deshaun Watson changes that because it is, we are officially in a weird spot with the Browns where they have built this defense to stop the pass, but the offensively this version of it is all run game and like they continue to be high in the efficiency rankings but they don't score any stinking points so congratulations on your efficiency you scored 17 against Miami when you were going to have to score 30 to have a chance so if Deshaun Watson comes back and starts to do extraordinary things if you have one extraordinary player doing things that have no right to be done, that can change a team. And I do think that can change a team on both sides of the ball. But instead of being in a position where this is a good team that's going to get over the top with an extraordinary player at quarterback, they are a team in a pit that needs to be lifted out to mediocrity by an extraordinary player. And so he better be extraordinary or they are in real trouble because there have been some things that have been exposed over these last nine games, and especially so after a bye in an embarrassing loss in Miami on Sunday. Read Dan Lobby. Read Irie Harris. Read Ashley Bastock. Read Mary Kay Cabot. Read Terry Pluto. I don't know if I'm going to write something or not. I just wanted to come on here and shout. Um, but we hope that 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 uh, you are going to cleveland.com slash Browns. We hope you are uh, an insider with us and getting texts and getting extra stories every day and we certainly appreciate the fact that you are making the orange and brown talk podcast part of your experience a frustrating experience right now honestly a frustrating experience to be a browns fans right now all right for mary Kay, for dan for irie and for ashley i'm doug and that was the orange and brown talk podcast <laughs>